we had a move-in day in North Carolina last year where we had four different cleaning companies and they didn't show. It was 11 in the morning. By around two in the afternoon, we had eight different cleaning companies out there from zero to eight within a matter of hours. Like Our ability to lean into our relationships and activate this labor force and Student housing professionals often use the term heads in beds. So what does that mean? So we typically use it when someone is referring to occupancy. People will say, at the end of the day, it's all about the heads in beds. By the way, it's not all about heads in beds, but I understand the sentiment. We can't operate without heads in beds. But how about if you had all of those heads show up on move-in day and you didn't have a bed, even for just one person? Everything you and your team work so hard for a return will be for nothing if just one person shows up on move-in day and they find out they don't have a mattress. The most essential thing for a student to have on move-in day is a mattress. doesn't matter if all the other furniture in the unit is in great shape. If the mattress isn't there, that student is going to go directly to Google and they'll post something about how crummy the apartment is all because they had to sleep on the floor or you had to put them in a hotel room. Look, things happen. Supply chain issues happen. Inspection teams miss things. Let's talk about inspections for just a second. I mean, think about it. The one piece of furniture that you can't really assess during those inspections is the mattress. No one's pulling the sheets all the way off and flipping the mattress over. It just isn't happening. So what is your plan when July 31st happens? Or for some of you, I know it's July 15th or maybe it's a little bit later, but you get to move out day and you start those inspections and you find out you've got five, 10, 20 additional mattresses that you did not order and did not account for. Yeah, most of the furniture companies that are that are servicing the student housing industry, they're going to stock extra mattresses. But do they have the logistics to get you the mattresses by moving day? Yeah, you can also try and source some mattresses from your local mattress store, but number one, you're paying retail, and number two, they typically don't have the right size mattress, and if you're a student housing veteran, you know what I'm talking about. That's why you need to remember this simple website, studenthousingmattress.com. That's the website for student housing owners and managers to order mattresses from Jameson Bedding. Yes, we've talked about Jameson on the podcast before. Mattresses from Jameson are manufactured in the U.S., and they can get mattresses to just about anywhere in the lower 48 within just a few days, in most situations. And they're quality mattresses. They even have those famous blue vinyl mattresses that we all widely use within the industry. So again, that's studenthousingmattress.com. We'll provide a link in the show notes, studenthousingmattress.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Student Housing Insight Podcast, where we are putting you in touch with the people who bring student housing to life. I'm your host, Wesley Dees. I'm also the CEO of Student Housing Insight. If this is your first time catching our podcast, we're not just a podcast. Student Housing Insight is a platform for off-campus housing professionals to network, share ideas and data, and to overall build community for those of us who are passionate about this sector. 
So to stay in the loop about what we offer, make sure that you go to studenthousinginsight.com and you can see what we're all up to as well as fill out a contact form to join our mailing list and we'll keep you abreast of everything that we have going on. We also host the industry's monthly webinar called Shop Talk. And if you haven't joined one of those You want to make sure that you start tuning in for those. This is where the industry comes together, especially owners and operators, to review several things that are happening from a legislative and policy standpoint within our industry with the National Multi-Housing Council. We also get a leasing update from College House that we review and have a panel that discusses. And then we also have a topic of the month for this month for May. It's been mental health awareness is what we covered. And for June, we're going to be talking about ESG. And that one's actually coming up on June 13th, which is a Tuesday. So make sure if you're not registered to receive our calendar invites for that, you can go to shoptalk.info. Again, that's shoptalk.info. And you can get more information there. You can also see our entire library of webinars that we've had over the past year there as well. All right, so let's get into today's episode. So many of you who follow the podcast have heard me interview Matt Windsor and Jesse Baker of The Turn Company. For those that don't know, The Turn Company was actually started by Cardinal Group, and it was kind of based on the premise that the process of summer turn is so complex that The only way to really make it more efficient is to have a company that is focused on preparing for turn throughout the entire year. It also solved the issue of having a company who could consistently execute the annual make ready process without having to rely on the level of expertise that may not be available at the property. Because, you know, there's always a time that a property is going to have a new manager And no matter how much training that new manager has, they'll make rookie mistakes. Heck, some of us have been in this for a couple of decades now when we find ourselves making rookie mistakes at turn every year. A lot of that just comes from the fact that we only do one big turn a year. And when you get past it, you're ready to move on and start focusing on the new leasing season. So there's never that chance to kind of go back and really talk about, hey, what was missed? What can we improve on? Working with vendors to kind of tell them the same thing. Hey, here's where I need you to improve. But with the term company, you had a team of project managers that would be able to immediately focus on areas of improvement. They could, you know, have months to source vendors and negotiate pricing They could offer vendors more skill, which allows for those vendors to become really good at TURN. This was a really intriguing way of approaching TURN, and it seemed to have a lot of potential. But at the end of 2022, Cardinal decided to merge the TURN company with their construction services group. I say construction services group. I think they call it real estate services group or something of that nature. But anyway... Personally, I was really bummed about that. For one, the team at the Turn Company was really unique and just special. Two, I really saw the potential of how companies like Turn Company could really benefit our sector. 
But a few weeks ago, an announcement was made on LinkedIn. Eddie Moreno, who was also Cardinal's previous EVP of operations, as well as Matt Windsor, teamed up to acquire the turn company and bring back that team. Eddie made that announcement on LinkedIn, and it got a lot of people excited. Also chimed in, posting a video of the Backstreet Boys, everybody, to welcome them back and welcome their team back, and that got a lot of laughs. But anyway, I asked Eddie and Matt to come on the podcast and catch us all up on what's happened and what their plans are. So let's jump to that interview now. Eddie, Matt, welcome back to the podcast. How are you guys doing? Great. How are you doing? Good to be back. Yeah, great to be back. It is great to be back. (laughs) We're at that part of the year where the students are starting to leave. Everybody's getting that last little push of leasing done. And I think everybody was kind of focused on that and being able to take a breath. And all of a sudden, I get this notice that the Turnco is back. <laughs> and uh, it was one of those things like, I'm really happy to see that logo back. I'm happy to see Eddie's face back and Matt's face back. So welcome back to Student Housing, guys. Oh, thank you. It, yeah. Quite honestly, it's been pretty humbling. Your support in that Backstreet video <laughs> that made my kids and wife crack up. But in all honesty, Matt and I have been really humbled by the bear hug that we've gotten from the industry. And Quite honestly, we shouldn't have expected anything less. It's student housing is a special place. And we've seen that since the news came out. We've gotten a lot of great phone calls and a lot of encouragement. For sure. Yeah. And for the audience members that don't know what we're talking about, I did post the Backstreet Boys (laughs) video (laughs) to welcome these guys back Um, because it's bringing the team back. For those that don't know anything about Turnco and they're listening to this for the first time, we'll get into that, but for those that are familiar with you and what has been happening to Turnco over the past couple of years, Matt, I think we had you on maybe, may have actually been part of a webinar or something that ended up in the podcast. But when you guys originally launched Turnco, it was one of those things where we're trying to get our heads around, okay, what does it look like for a company that's just focused on turn? We've all talked about it. We've all said, gosh, you could make a living out of doing this, you know, three months out of the year or whatever. <laughs> but what does that actually look like as a company? And, you know, I think you did a fantastic job of explaining that during the off season, working on CapEx projects and things like that. So both of you guys were at Cardinal when Turnco started, and we'll get into that a little bit later, but let's talk about where you guys are at now. You just recently acquired Turnco. Eddie, when you kind of uh, took your hat off and and went off into the sunset (laughs) last fall, I didn't know if you'd ever come back to student housing. So kind of catch us up what's been happening over the past seven, eight months and, and how all of this came about. Sure. Yeah. You know, and I I didn't know, uh, quite honestly, what direction I was headed in either. I think it was, you know, a 10-year amazing journey, and it was a a pretty full sprint most of the time growing the business and an experience I'll never get back and I'll always cherish. But when I left Cardinal, I quite honestly made some promises to my family to, you know, give my wife some of the time back she had sacrificed over the years and really focus on my kids. And I did that and maybe got a little better at fly fishing and picked up a golf club or two. But 
really kind of took stock of, hey, you know, what do I want to do as a professional, as an individual, and started a small investment company, did a couple of land acquisitions with my brother and some family members, and was really looking at, okay, what's going to be the nine to five? Where can I pour my experience as a leader, as an executive? Where can I invest my capital and, and really believe in something? And Matt and I hadn't talked in several months. He had left Turnco in November. And I think around February, we were meeting to have coffee and heard the news that Cardinal had decided to merge their construction company and the turn company and rebrand that Cardinal Group Residential Services and focus on you know some of their bread and butter business on a go forward. That left an opportunity for the Turnco, not only the brand, but some of the team members who'd been displaced. Yeah. And a light bulb kind of went off in a conversation that Matt and I had, and we thought, we believe in, in the company, we believe in the team, the marketplace, generally speaking, is underserved. And if we could come together and figure out how to bring all that back together, we, we can have a really awesome team and, and a really awesome set of services to bring to the market. And big kudos to Alex O'Brien and Jason Luker. As you guys know, Cardinal's a very people-focused and people-first company. And when I approached them and said, hey, you know, we heard about the merger and the opportunity that maybe to, to take over the turn company and focus on turn services. And they were really collaborative. The bigger story is that we were able to bring back the team that we had curated over three years. We were able to take the platform and the, the processes and everything that is the company that Matt had worked on over three years, building painstakingly piece yeah. by piece, and really just turn the lights back on and relaunch it. And so yeah. we worked really hard over, call it a 45-day diligence and acquisition period. And that's kind of why the news came out when it did. It was more uh, circumstantial, but uh, we're excited to be a valuable partner to our clientele this summer. And we'll take a, a conservative approach. We'll have a smaller turn portfolio than we've had in years past, just to make sure we do the right things right and build relationships that last. But yeah, that's kind of how we came together as partners. And Matt will be the president of the company and just really knows his business inside and out, not only as an operator, but a leader of a turn team. So yeah. The timing, we got to talk about that for a little bit because yeah. when the announcement first came out, I was like, okay, I guess they're going to be gearing up for fall time, getting out and you know, kind of teeing everything up for next year. And then <laughs> lo and behold, Dustin ends up was part of the team. I want you to kind of call out the team here in a minute, but yeah. he calls one of the properties that I'm overseeing from an asset management standpoint and is ready to give a bid. <laughs> the property manager called me and was like, Hey, do you know about the Turnco? I was like, Yeah, I do. I just posted something on LinkedIn. <laughs> he said, Yeah, they want to give us a bid for cleaning. We just had ran into a situation where our cleaning vendor, you know, she just decided she didn't want to do it this year after we had already thought we'd locked her in place. And we're like, yeah, let's definitely talk. And then I talked to you guys a couple of days later just to make sure, hey, you guys really are doing turn this year <laughs> in 2023, right? So you guys are not just coming back and kind of getting in a, in a planning phase. You guys are hitting the ground running. Yeah, for sure. We're able to you know, leverage some of those past relationships that we had built on the third party side with 
the turn company the past three years. We launched it in 2020, did three turn seasons with it. When we were able to acquire all of the resources and the, the website and just everything that was in place with the previous company, and we were able to shift it over, it was pretty seamless. Like Eddie said, it was kind of a, the lights kind of went off on the turn company for about 60 days or so. And we were able to flip them back on pretty quickly and uh, just leaned into some of those relationships that we'd built over the previous three years. And that really started getting the ball rolling. You know, we weren't entirely sure how much we'd be able to get, how much business development we would generate, interest, et cetera. But uh, it really picked up pretty quickly. And yeah, Dustin's been out there beating the bushes as he does, uh, just trying to drum up business anywhere, any which way he can. And he's incredible at it. But uh, yeah, to Eddie's point, without the team being able to kind of come back and rejoin back together, it would have been a much, much more difficult and a longer runway to get something like this back off the ground. Yeah. But the amount of experience and training, you know, we did over a hundred turns over the past three years with this team in place with 20 or so different clients. We were in 40 plus markets in 20 states, just doing turns everywhere for all these different groups. And with that experience that our team had built up over the past couple of years, to be able to bring that back together. That's what made this be able to just hit the ground and start running. And uh, we've got a, a lot of work coming through the pipeline. We got contracts out. To Eddie's point, again, we're not going to take the biggest swing in the world. We won't take the right swing at this. But we're still in a position we feel confident taking on more right now as it stands. And we know we'll have to put a cap on it. We know what time of year it is. The next four to six weeks is probably when that'll happen. But until then, we're going to be uh, taking on different markets and where we feel comfortable uh, taking these turns on. Obviously, we're not going to get into a market or a turn situation where we're going to fail or let someone down. We certainly don't want to do that or make anything worse. The ones we're in this year, for sure, and we got strong labor and a strong team in place in those markets, we can take them on and we feel really confident about it. Yeah, I've got to say, you know, I, I tried using Turnco, I guess it was two years ago in the Knoxville market. And mm. I remember we were kind of setting everything up because, you know, the property was also under contract and we were ready to, to rock and roll with you guys. And thankfully, you kind of saw a couple of things coming together that it was not going, you know, you guys were not going to be able to provide the service that you wanted to. And, you know, we got a good I think six month advance notice of, hey, Wes, you guys probably need to start looking because this is not going to, you know, we're just going to be spread too thin. And that was really more from an oversight standpoint. And I, I was so appreciative of that because most turn <laughs> vendors would have just kind of kept that low and we'll figure it out. And, but, you know, because of, the experience that you guys have, you know, just from a student housing standpoint, you were able to really kind of identify that up front of, yeah, we need to, we need to make sure that we can do this the right way. And um, that's what I've, what I've always appreciated about everything that you've done, Matt, from, you know, you and I were together on a couple other properties when you were the por a portfolio manager at Cardinal. And um, that's always been the approach that you've taken. I want to talk a little bit about the services because, during the first generation, I guess, <laughs> of Turnco, it was really that first focus on just getting, helping property managers with a turn, helping a lot of owners and managers who you know may not have a, be able to have a full staff or they're in remote areas or, or whatever. And then it kind of turned in 
into kind of the next year, being able to do these CapEx services during the off season and turn really seemed to kind of be something that you guys were going to be involved with throughout the year of doing inspections and, and helping managers from that standpoint. What do the services look like today that you guys are, are coming out with? Well, yeah, turn services for sure. I mean, that's our big focus right now, just given the time of year. We were able to, on a couple of turns we did in the past, provide some maintenance punch support, which was not a, a typical turn offering when it comes to traditional turnkey services. But uh, we really did want to start looking more into that, putting some more resources into, into adding that service into the offerings. But, you know, on the turn side, it's painting, cleaning, carpet cleaning, standard offering to get these units ready to go. But uh, yeah, I wanted to layer in the maintenance punch for anyone who needs it. You know, it's not very common that we're even offered that or that someone requests it, but we could potentially offer that as well on the term side, which is new-ish, but something we want to start to bring into it. On the capital and facility side, where we saw the most interest was in the ESG arena really, and in the HVAC area. On ESG, you know, that's obviously a big industry-wide push. It's a directive that people are moving towards. And so one of the very first projects we did was in Flagstaff doing an LED lighting change out interior and exterior. We did about 8,000 light bulbs, I think. And we had to work with the city and to get those in. But I, that one, I believe, may have been a, a lender requirement that the community do it. But regardless, we started uh, talking to some different green companies when it comes to lighting, when it comes to toilets and fixtures and those sorts of things and trying to get in with them and doing a lot of those installs. But that was where it really started to take off was once we started doing some of the ESG work and then it kind of moved into some of these other areas and we'd be picking up small projects here and there. Some places we're just fixing a gate. Some places we're just fixing a fence. Some places we were filling an asphalt hole, but it was just things that these communities needed done. And we could just come in and laser focus on it because having been on site for as long as we have as operators, we just know how, how many directions you're pulled in and we can just come in, knock it out, get you to take a look at it, approve it, let us know if it's all good and we can move on. But uh, we uh, kind of had this concept of doing these HVAC inspections of inspecting the units prior to summer getting here prior to the, the moving dates you know a lot of the students are gone over the summer these units can go down and you don't find out till moving day and then you got some upset residents maybe you got to well, put some people in hotels i want to just stop there for a second because the thing that i'm running into and i hear from so many managers when it comes to these hvac inspections their maintenance staff isn't you know they're not certified sure and it's kind of part of the labor pool issues that we've seen because those that, that are licensed are able to go out and get some other jobs that probably pay a little bit more It's because there's such of a, a need within that trade. And then when you even call your HVAC companies to come out and, and do the inspections, there's bigger projects that pay them way more money. And so I can see how that's going to be a, a great fit for you guys. Yeah. And turn is a bread and butter part of the business. And you hear turn vendors talk about them being a Christmas tree farm business and how do we form relationships and generate revenue that is throughout the year and, and bring value at the end of the day to our clientele. We better know the communities. We know the teams, the service level expectations are there and, and you're able to provide value as a vendor year round versus just during that 
four or six week period. Now, Matt, coming from North Carolina, I know he knows what a Christmas tree farm is. (laughs) I've drugged my fair share of Christmas trees out of Ash County for sure. Yeah, I know that business model. Pretty well. But yeah, the the ESG projects, the AC projects that require some sophistication or or licensure or things that the the on-site teams don't have or a great pocket that we'd love to fit in. There's also a lot of capital projects that are those tweener capital projects. They're too big for the on-site team to self-perform and they're probably too small to get a big local contractor to look at. But like Matt said, we have gun, we'll travel and we'll go into markets and handle that project or process self-performing in, in many cases and allow your team on site to stay focused on what they need to be doing and still get your capital project banged out at the same time. There's a lot of that work out there in the space. And I, I think that we're seeing, especially in, in conversations that we've had even in the last couple of weeks, operators and owners in this space are putting just as much value on transactional efficiency as they are on the ticket price, right? Will you do what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it? And if you could build that type of relationship, well, your phone will be ringing more than your competitors. And and we think that turn will really fit a nice place there. Matt and I have our 20 year careers and reputations to at risk to make sure that we perform. And and, uh, we're we're taking a conservative stance in this first year for that reason. But, uh, you know, we plan to just do the hard work, right? We plan to roll up our sleeves and do the work that's really difficult to get done in this labor market. Sometimes you got to pick up the phone and, and ask somebody outside your organization to help out. That was the other thing that was kind of so key for you guys, you know, in the original launch was, was the first year during the pandemic or was it the year yeah. before that? Yeah, the first year was during the pandemic. It was pandemic. 2020, yeah. Yeah. We launched in January. It, it was one of those things where it was hard for us to find vendors, us being the operators. It was hard for vendors to ensure that they were going to have not just the numbers, but that everybody was going to be you know, it was going to be healthy when they got there and they were going to take all the precautions that, you know, we were requiring at the time. Kind of perfect that you guys started at that point in time. It could really kind of help some of these managers who could not get laser focused on it to be able to, to help them. One thing I wanted to kind of go into next, I hope it's okay to say this. I hope nobody will be offended by it, but I think it's kind of obvious. And one of the things that I really liked about when you guys made the announcement, like I said, Matt, I was talking about using Turnco and Knoxville previously. And one of the things that, you know, had obviously concerned me, Cardinal had, you know, they've got their own properties that they own. They've obviously got their own clients and we were a client of Cardinal. So, you know, I was completely comfortable with that particular property, but I also had other properties with different management groups. And I really wanted to, there were real discussions about bringing you guys in and there were real questions from ownership groups of, okay, but you know, if they've got a Cardinal client in that same market, are they going to give them that attention? I feel like you guys separating away from that is probably going to relieve a lot of questions around that. Do you guys want to talk to that a little bit? Yeah. For practical reasons, use whatever euphemism you want to, but, but at the end of the day, turn is the most vulnerable time of year for any community. And I don't care how on top of your game are, it, it's a difficult thing to get through, right? And when a company that is affiliated with a competitor, you know, has a, a purview into that, that's a tough decision, right? And so I'll, 
going to leave that at that. I think it's for obvious reasons, it's being a, a wholly owned standalone business that's we're not managing communities. We don't own communities. We're a contractor tried and true. I think that allows groups to then look at Turnco with a different lens and say, okay, what is it that they're offering that is compelling? What is it that the team brings, not just Matt and I, but the rest of the team? How is it that they're different than their competitors? And how could that be a value add to my team and my company? I think those questions are a lot easier to ask. And that was one of the kind of underwriting notes for Matt and I is, we really believe in the business plan and the strategy and, and, and even more so the team. And Cardinal's an amazing proving ground for any team and company, right? You've got a lot of smart people doing a lot of amazing things. And over the three years since the launch, Matt refined the business processes, the hows and the whys and the whens, working hand in hand with the Cardinal team. And so we really felt like, wow, we're, we're not coming out of the gates uh, an ingenue, you know, it, it we're, we're really, you know, well-oiled and defined and, and refined team. And we have Cardinal to thank for a lot of that. But as a standalone, we're able to take that experience and then our experiences as operators over 20 years and say, okay, now how do we service the industry? What are the things that companies in the management space and on the owner side really thinking about how is this economy impacting their decision and their whole horizons and all of those things? And how do we be somebody that they want to call and work with? Not just because yeah. they like us, but because we do good work and, and we bring value at the end of the day. Yeah. So, I, you know, I wanted to kind of find out how the sausage is made a little bit. You guys mentioned having that kind of core project management team that you've been able to bring back. And so, you know, they've kind of gone through that process and know what know what it looks like. Finding the vendors, I think that's probably one of the biggest questions. If if I'm a property manager looking at Turnco, is how are you not just finding them, but how are you basically? I think there's probably a little bit of training. There's a little bit of some standards and some boxes they need to check. Can you talk a little bit about what that process looks like? I mean, we have been very lucky the past three years to have identified uh, some really excellent high-level operating turn vendors out there. We know there's a lot of markets where there's just not an abundance of the type of labor who can actually execute projects of this type. The compressed timeline, the high number of beds, the high number of team members needed and crews to execute, you know, the project and the timeline required. Over the past few years, we've um, kind of developed a way of not exactly weeding out those that can't, but really putting them through, like you said, a training process. Um, we start working with them, showing them the way our process works, working through the concepts of turn from the operation standpoint and the on-site standpoint. And some groups get it and some don't. And we have uh, really found some high, really stable and solid companies that we work with. We were essentially building a database of functional and high-level turn vendors nationally. And that's what we want to continue doing. I got to imagine a lot of those vendors probably didn't want to do student housing turns to begin with, you know, on an individual basis, because for one turn, there's not that much there. But if they're working with you guys, then you guys have kind of a portfolio, you know, across the country that they can work with. It makes that project make sense to them at that point. It's interesting that you kind of bring it up that way, because there were a lot of folks I remember trying to get bids from, you know, when I was a site manager and they're like, it's a lot of 
squeeze for very little juice. So right. Yeah. <laughs> there's obviously that that you bring to those contractors that makes it worth the squeeze. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we really dig into where are your people? Who are your people? How many crews do you have? How can they travel? Where can they go? And we really start working with them really closely on these questions of how are they going to execute this turn? And we even have them walk us through how they want to do it. And then we form that new process. And and each vendor is a little bit unique, but we know everybody's kind of doing the same kind of process and accomplishing the same tasks uh, throughout the process. But when we're going through there, it becomes very clear very quickly whether who you're speaking with truly understands what they're about to walk into. And if they don't, like you can tell, you can really tell and you can really start to break apart the ones who are really into it, really understand it, really understand how the crews work and what they're kind of issues are with it as well. You know, the vendors have their own set of uh, obstacles and challenges that they uh, run into during the process. And the biggest one is obviously payment. So that's one way that we've been able to work with them a lot is working out the way that we pay them a lot faster and in different ways. And it allows us to just diversify our labor network as well. We can have some vendors doing some of these projects for us too. So they're getting more year-round work as well. And helps them keep their prices lower for us and really building the relationships with them along with our clients and the turns and and all the work we're doing on site and those relationships building the relationships with these vendors really goes a long way yeah i mean obviously a lot of them we have run into where they may not be completely honest with how many people they can bring you know they'll tell us they're bringing this many and then half of that shows up. In other cases, they've been victims of the labor market just like everybody else. They'll have people they bring in full confidence and they will just vanish. And it's just, it's a different labor market and it's way more volatile than it has been pre-COVID. But uh, that's something that we've been able to work through with this turn process and these projects with getting not just a primary vendor, but backups. And then we even had travel vendors like waiting in the wings where they might be in Texas, but if we have a turn goes sideways in North Carolina, we can have them on a plane and in that market within, you know, six to 12 hours. And, yeah. you know, being able to mobilize in that fashion and building those relationships is what really allowed us to build this kind of foundation underneath the turn that prevents it from collapsing or falling apart or coming, you know, the wheels coming off completely. We've just yeah. seen so much of it, our team and, and the vendors we're working with too, that we can really bring that to the table with the relationships we've built uh, with the labor force out there. Yeah. I'm sitting here thinking if I was a first year site manager, you guys would probably be the first group I would call. And I probably wouldn't know that as a first year site manager, but as you were talking about the labor force and how scattered everything is, I, I remember specific, I mean, you went to school in Chapel Hill and have managed properties in the area, but at East Carolina, we there was a very limited number of folks that we could pull from that were local. So for the most part, we pulled from the Triangle area, Raleigh, right. Chapel Hill, Durham, you know, because it, they didn't have to get on a plane, but you ended up having to get them a vacant unit to stay in or something like that. And I remember a specific conversation with uh, one of my managers who was really fighting to get somebody that they had worked with in Raleigh and wanted to, you know, everybody was kind of going after him. And, you know, he just said, look, I've already got three other things in Greenville. I don't know if I can put another one on. 
And she said, well, you know, who are the other three? And she named them off. She was like, she's a first year manager. You do not want, <laughs> you do not want to go do work for her. You, you remember my first year? You want that again? <laughs> and so I can imagine if that first year manager said, you know, ended up telling that, uh, vendor that they've got you guys doing the project management, that vendor would feel a lot better about coming in. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I'll say too, you know, one of the things that we were able to do that we didn't even exactly anticipate being like such a benefit, but like while the turn is going on, like while we're in it, you know, this first week, week and a half, now you're 10 days in, you're coming up on move-in day. The vendors really especially, you know, in the market we're in, they start to run out of steam more. We had a move-in day in North Carolina last year where we had no cleaners on site on move-in day. They just didn't show up. We had four different cleaning companies and they didn't show. It was 11 in the morning. By around one, two in the afternoon, we had eight different cleaning companies out there from zero to eight within a matter of hours. Like our ability to lean into our relationships and activate this labor force and get the money flowing, you know, fast for them really allows us to do things that a lot faster than perhaps the on-site teams might be able to um, when we've got this vast kind of labor uh, resource that we can really pull from when times get really tough and some unexpected things happen. We, I really didn't expect all four cleaners not to show up on that move-in day. Another way for anybody in the audience that is a first-time manager, because I know we have a lot that listen to it, because this is a good source of education to get sure. through their first year. Yeah. So if you don't know what Matt's talking about, you're probably thinking, well, shouldn't all the cleaning be done by move-in day? Make sure that you are requiring your cleaning vendor to be on site. It's in their contract. If they don't show up on move-in day, they're not getting paid. So you got to be there on move-in day for sure. Cleaners especially. Um, So going back to, you know, when the three of us were on site and doing our, you know, first turn (laughs) or fifth turn, it looked a lot different than the way that you guys are doing it now with the Turnco and the way, you know, a lot of the operating companies are. I just finished up last month at, at Interface with a conversation with, you know, some of our peers that we've been working with in this industry for the past 20 some years. And, uh, you know, I expect most of them are still going to be around for the next 10, 20 years. And, you know, are going to be specifically kind of molding what this, you know, what the future of student housing looks like. And, you know, you guys are kind of in a perfect position to really push things when it comes to evolving things on the turn side. You know, we had a lot of conversation about AI and technology and how that's going to be impacting things. Just wondering from from your standpoint, when you're looking at centralization and what's coming down the pipe from a technology standpoint, what are you guys thinking about? As we looked at at our business and the opportunity, not just in the short term, but long term, let's call it even just three to five years, property management companies in the space will continue to focus on automation and leveraging technology to be more efficient, to be more data driven, to Mm -hmm. All of the things we know, right? Improve the resident experience, compress transaction times, all of those things, right? And when you hear of those things, generally speaking, at some point, those will touch the size and makeup of the on-site teams. Yeah. And that, we think, leaves an opportunity for groups like us. I, I mentioned it earlier, centralization is effectively outsourcing internally, right? And using a vendor is outsourcing externally. And there's a 
a need and a trend towards centralization for all the reasons why you know I just I just rattled off. We have labor pressure, a high turnover in the industry. We've got rising payroll costs. At the same time, we've got companies that are evolving into the marketplace of the future that incorporates a lot of the technology that we were just mentioning. In the meantime, the work still needs to be done, right? The walls still need to be painted. The rooms still need to be cleaned. The capital projects still need to be done. And in an environment where teams are relying more heavily on technology and theory have smaller teams and and fewer physical bodies, the value of a really good vendor who you can transact with time and time again, who understands from a service level agreement what your needs and expectations are as a company become very, very valuable. And that's really where we see our future is as technology and automation and centralization become the way of today versus the way of tomorrow, a group like us who can play in that world, but also add value from a just tried and true vendor you know, blue collar work type of perspective yeah. is a really bright future and one that, you know, we're really looking to invest in and, and really believe in as a kind of theoretical strategy for the business. Great. Matt, anything to add to that? No, no. I mean, we've seen these these trends, you know, toward better technology, toward more concentrated technologies with the softwares that everybody are using during turn. We did previously have a software that we provided along with these services. We're not going to be doing that under the new model, but having worked so closely with that software platform and customizing it for our needs historically, we can very easily adapt to any platform that pretty much any on-site team is using. If they are using one, um, we can adopt it pretty quickly and give feedback on it to some of the different needs or if it's missing something. We've just seen so much of it. Let's just take a quick break from there and just realize that we're talking about turn software. 10 years ago, it didn't even exist. Five years ago, it hardly existed. (laughs) It didn't. It really didn't. It is going that direction. And yeah, to think about it 10 years ago, we were all operators 10 years ago. uh, And just the difference. I'm just trying to get managers to use an Excel sheet versus having to write it on their wall. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. All these factors, I think, are going to push this innovation in the software uh, sphere more and more toward with centralization. The software is just going to be more and more important. Um, that that data analysis, the ability for real time, being able to see what's going on at a community remotely in real time. And I think it's just going to be, I mean, that is the future really. And so uh, making sure that we're keeping our eye on that uh, for certain and adopting it and adapting to it as it comes along. But like Eddie said, I mean, this is getting your hands dirty. The wrenches still need turned. Um, We got to get in there and be doing those things as well. And that's our, our main focus is making sure we're trying to do that at the highest level possible. But yeah, when it comes to technology, that is the future and that's the way we'll get there with it. And we're going to roll with it and maybe hopefully someday contribute to some of those advances with some of the efficiencies we can build over time. As we do more and more turns, more and more projects and work with more and more clients, we can kind of really professionalize the process and then apply that to whatever new technology is going out there, whether that's AI or whatever comes next after AI. You know, uh, we're, we're, we're standing on <laughs> dipping our toes into AI right now. We're not even sure what how far that's going to go. Is there there anything after AI? I I hope we're just all around to see it. (laughs) Yeah, hopefully we're all still here. Um, 
Well, guys, before, you know, we wrap up here, I think, uh, you know, always, anytime I'm talking to service providers, I kind of like, you know, ending on the, on the price of something. Right. And, you know, I can, I could tell the audience from, uh, you know, what I mentioned earlier with those properties that, that Dustin reached out to us, uh, you know, I've already got pricing from him. He's actually right in line with the other vendor that we unfortunately lost. And, uh, there's not like some huge premium that's stuck on it. You know, you guys know how to work with the vendors to make sure that everybody's putting food on the table. But I wanted to really kind of talk to you guys about the other areas within operations because of what you guys are, are doing with Turn. How are you saving properties money beyond just getting them a, a good market price on painting and cleaning? Yeah, that labor network is what really allows us to be competitive with our pricing because we're able to get them into jobs, markets, communities that they may not necessarily otherwise be able to broach or spend their own marketing dollars trying to get into when we can kind of feed them. Yeah. The way we kind of explained it was we were kind of like a restaurant. Instead of them having to go hunt, kill and make their own dinner, uh, we can just kind of feed them, you know, that helps them bring their costs down. Uh, And so that helps us put our pricing, you know, in between that at a competitive uh, level. On top of that, because we know we have to compete, we're not going to win any of these turns if we're, you know, just price ourselves out of it. But uh, at the same time, on the other side, you know, coming for having these operational backgrounds, we really see where we can provide savings with like travel, for example. If we're hired on your turn, we'll be the one who surge resources at a community versus having to send in a VP or a regional to come in and do it. But temp labor costs, you know, we can, you know, help assist on any of those things, bringing that down. We also, you know, talked about just time savings and allowing us to really, allowing the on-site teams to focus on their core competencies. You know, they have to collect the rent. I have to worry about overtime. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But overtime. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Let us be the ones who are working around the clock during that turn period. But uh, yeah, in addition to keeping our, our turn costs or turn labor itself as competitive as we possibly can, which is our goal. It's all those kind of hidden costs, you know, those other costs that we can affect and, and help keep minimized. If you don't have to hire temp labor this year because you hired us, then you can save that there. And if you don't have to fly people in during turn to help put the wheels back on, as it were, we can do that instead. And so if you're not doing that, you can save on those costs, the flights, yeah. the hotels, the rental cars, et cetera. The, the concessions, yeah, so, the, the reputational damage and the concessions, fact that for sure. Yeah. I mean, you can't outrun your online reputation. And if you're starting from a net negative on your renewal season and in your, your next year's marketing, because you had a bad turn for whatever reason, like that, those are real dollars. That's real economic impact to the business and and to the investment for the owners of the, of the community. And we want to be that, that company that's the buck stops with us, right? If something's, you know, to Matt's point gone sideways, well, we, we want to be the ones that are feverishly working behind the scenes to correct that. And at the end of the day, let's just say we do a a great turn, right? Then we want the teams to be looking back at the end of September and say, wow, we wrote 50% less concessions. Our online reputation actually went up instead of down because we had an amazing move in and we got everybody in on time and all of those things. And if we can take some of those qualitative things and put some data behind it yeah. and show that as a proof of concept, in addition to the value that we can bring as just a company that will perform the work that we're being contracted to do, 
then those are super compelling reasons for us to be a phone number that, you know, you're going to dial again and again, which again, we're looking to build those long-term relationships. So, yeah. Great. Well, you know, I think where we kind of need to end things on is someone's listening to this podcast and they're like, I don't know if I need them for this term, but I definitely want to have them for, you know, something down the future, or maybe they're in that situation where I was, you know, just a, a couple of weeks ago of had a vendor that basically pulled out and, and you guys came yeah. back right at the perfect time. And, uh, you know, maybe they need that angel. How's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Go through the website. The website is just uh, theturncompany.com. You can email us at info at theturncompany.com. Or you can just email me directly. It's Matt, M-A-T, at theturncompany.com. That's the best way to get us and get us engaged. Yeah, depending on certain markets that we're in, if we got heavy labor there, we could mobilize pretty quickly if it's an emergency or something like that. That's really where we'd like to be to, to Eddie's point is, you know, if you run into a problem or run into a project or a some kind of facilities need, just pick up the phone and call us first. If we can't do it, we will try and steer you in the right direction at the very least, or even give it to another resource that can handle it that we might have been able to find. If we can't do it, our priority is making sure that the communities and the managers and the regionals and on up the line that their projects get done and that their communities are taken care of and their physical asset is operating as well as it can. And if we can't do it, we'll gladly hand it to someone else. But uh, we'd, we'd love to be that first phone call or the first email, as it were. Or the last email. Or the last email. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it'll be the last email. But either way. <laughs> We'll take it. Well, and I, you know, I, I'm assuming I mean, you guys aren't a general contractor or anything. I'm, I'm assuming all 50 states you guys are able to do work in the lower 48. Yeah, I mean, we have natural concentration, both in experience and just if you look at the student housing space, and it's geographically concentrated in certain areas. Um, and then you've got your, you know, first, second, and third tier markets that generally fall in line with the size of those cities, the proximity to airports, the proximity to labor, right? So, all of that said. If there are markets that we are not in or can't get to or us doing it would represent some risk, we'll say that right at the front end, like the example you use, Wes, with the deal in Tennessee. We know which markets we're targeting and in which areas we can really perform in, and we'll let folks know that immediately, not just this summer, but ongoing. Yeah, sure. Well, guys, thanks so much. Again, welcome back, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it, Wes. Thank you, Wes. Thanks for having us on. Again, thanks to Eddie and Matt for taking a few minutes away from what has turned into a busy and exciting time for them. We'll link all of their information in the show notes in case you want to reach out to them. Well, guys, that does it for this episode. In our next episode, I'll be sitting down with PeakMade's Chief Operating Officer, Casey Peterson, for our Profiles and Student Housing series. So make sure you tune in for that. Also, our next Shop Talk, again, as I said in the intro, will be Tuesday, June 13th. We will, of course, be hearing from all the regulars, NMHC and College House. And I mentioned that we're also going to have kind of a topic of the month on ESG. Jill Brossig, who is the Chief Impact and ESG Officer at Harrison Street, along with a couple of other special guests, are going to be joining us to really discuss what owners and operators need to understand regarding ESG initiatives. 
We'll provide a link to shoptalk.info in the show notes just in case you're driving and you can uh, immediately go to it. Well, guys, have a great rest of your week or weekend whenever you're listening to this, and we'll see you soon. 